Welcome to Beatitudes, where your host, Dr. Kwamenich Sukina, will give you tools to experience wisdom in your everyday life. Listen each week as Dr. Kwamenich Sukina shares stories that will help guide your faith, perspective, and attitude in every situation. This is Dr. Sukina of Indigenous Messengers International, and here is our host. Today, we're going to talk about be persistent, therefore resilient. I want to talk about some heavy things today, but I promise not to leave us in despair. I just want to share some things that have been on my heart recently, and those things also might be affecting some of you. It helps me sometimes to know I'm not alone in my struggles and that there are many things common to mankind. So perhaps today this will validate some of you out there if you're dealing with some of the same things that I've been dealing with recently. My mother was a teacher for over 60 years. Her name was Rosemary Stanley, and she served in Nashville, Tennessee for most of those years as a teacher. She was Metro Teacher of the Year one year. She was really, really, really good teacher. It was her calling from God, and she viewed it as a sacred trust. Were she alive, I can't even imagine the grief she'd be experiencing over the shootings at the school in Nashville this past week. In her generation, and in my generation, it was unheard of to think of children being shot and killed at school. Back when I was in school, we got in trouble for chewing gum in a class, not packing a gun and taking it to school with the intent to kill others. She could not even have imagined this in her worst nightmare. My mom, she said she watched the demise of the American family over her 60 years of teaching. She said it was like the frog in the water slowly heating up. As a teacher, she saw behind the scenes in the lives of the children. They manifested, in her, in her view, they manifested the state of the nation more than the state of the nation speech from the president does. If you want to know how things are going, look at the children. That, that was kind of her belief. And because of that, she was very motivated to do the best thing that she could to help these children because she realized she was helping to shape their lives. She said the demise of the American family started with the television, and she called it, and, and when I was growing up, she fondly called it the idiot box. And she said, if you want to go watch it, go watch the idiot box. You could be learning some things. And it's not that we didn't watch TV, but... She didn't allow us just to sit in front of it 24-7. She thought we needed to go outside and play in the summer, and it was for something to do as an extra treat like going to the movie. And that's back when television was only on a few hours a day. And some of you that maybe are not in the generation I was in, you don't realize that TV didn't used to be on 24-7. It went off, usually around 11 o'clock at night. And nothing came on until after 9 p.m. that wasn't suitable for children. We had three channels. There was no remote control, because you act, so you actually had to get up and change the channel. And when the channels went off at night, usually around 11 o'clock at night, I remember them reading this poem called High Flight. It would go out across the airways, and that was the last thing, and then it would go beep, making this noise, and it would have like a, it would look like a, thing you would throw darts at, <laughs> and it would just be gone. 
She said the next thing that affected families was organized athletics. She wasn't against them, but she said that families were at the ballpark all the time in the evenings and on weekends, and they weren't at home spending time together and eating dinner together. Then she said the next thing that affected the family was the invention of fast foods, where families didn't sit down at their dining room table anymore. They went through the drive-thru. Then they go back home with their TV trays that were invented and sit in front of the television and watch TV while they ate together. And, and the dining room table became a, a table that you put your junk mail on. It was the catch-all table for all the extra stuff. She next said it was then cable TV, of which included MTV, which I, I remember when that came out, when they came around and said, we're going to start charging for TV. And we were like, we're not going to pay for TV. It was back like when they said, there'll come a time and you'll pay for water. We're like, we're not going to pay for water. Now everybody, you know, there's bottled water. There's drink. It was like, why would anyone buy TV when we have free TV? But everyone signed up for cable TV. And then it became gaming boxes like Xbox. And then computers. And then cell phones. And then social media. And the rest is history. Like I said, she called it the demise of the American family. And she's not saying any of these things were evil because she didn't look at life that way. My mother, as her age, was progressive. But she was talking about them coming into society and chipping away at the foundation of the family, robbing time and attention from the family relationships. At the end of her career, she said she was having to spend as much time counseling kids as she spent teaching kids. And that broke her heart because children were the passion of her life. When I was in my 20s and 30s and and she would share that. I kind of would roll my eyes and scoff at that assessment because I was a, you know, I was a part of that next generation of, oh, you know, we need to be able to be open to the, the new things that are coming along. But now that I can see through her eyes, I'm, I'm, I'm sad about that. I see the losses and it does concern me. Because when you look at the scriptures, the whole country and nation of Israel was a family, was Jacob's family. And I can tell you myself that I get more resistance when I try to do something with family than I do usually when I try to do something in ministry. If I try to do something with my family, there's such resistance to keep families apart now because God works through families, especially in the lives of children during their foundational years. I want to share with you transparently that this week has been one of the most difficult podcasts for me to prepare for. That's why I'm putting it on. It didn't go on on Tuesday. It's going to be going on on Wednesday. Because I've been in the trenches dealing with so much grief. Dare I say that I wake now most mornings with this gnawing sense of agitation and anxiety, low-grade anxiety, right below the surface. And in the mornings, see, I've, I've, before I get out of bed, I've not had time to be distracted by the activities and the demands of the day. And I, you know, I haven't really gone into my time of where I meditate, spend time with the Lord. I just, when I first wake up, there's this sense of deep sadness and agitation and low-grade anxiety. And it's not a spiritual deficit. It's just plain grief. And as I've said before, we can't go under grief we can't go over grief. We can't go around grief. 
we have to go through grief. And even the scriptures speak of Yeshua grieving and, and weeping. He cried. So it's not like that we don't, you know, that we're so spiritual that, that we're of no earthly good, that that we're so above all that. We're, we're supposed to be spiritual beings having a human experience. And having a human experience involves grief. And I, it's not like we have a spirit of grief. And people can get stuck in that place, delay, you know, of where they've delayed grief, get stuck in it. But if you allow yourself and allow God to take you through the process, then you don't get stuck there. As a people, we have been through so much and we're going through so much more every day. Loss, change, challenge. We've, we've not even gotten through the stages of grief for all the lives lost to COVID and the loss of our innocence as well. The grief I'm talking about and I'm dealing with is not just the grief of a sister for my younger brother who, who just died in July. It's compounded grief. It's a grief fueled by the traumas of this imperfect world. And if you do read the scriptures, you find that it's going to progress. It's the grief of an almost 40-year-old illness that doctors can't help me with, rarely understand, and a struggling medical system. It's the grief of families affected by addiction that I've worked with and I've had it in my own family and that it tears at the foundation of the lives of the children and it destroys the individuals involved. It's the grief of how cancer is ravaging people's lives, some of them in my family, and taking out young mothers and fathers before their time, not counting the torture that people are having to go through in the treatments just to try to preserve their lives. It's the grief of a post-COVID world where everything has changed, in some ways not for the better. It's the grief of lack of support and understanding for mental illness and how mental illness is increasing and the suffering of the people who are mentally ill and the families and, and no place to go. And it's the grief of the awareness that our children cannot even go to school without the threat of being shot and killed in their classrooms and even if they survive that, they have all this trauma to deal with in life. My heart has been heavy with grief, and my tears have been flowing freely. I'm sad for a world that I knew, and that even that my children knew, that my grandchildren will probably never know. I'm not stuck here forever, but there's a time and season for everything, as the scriptures say, and I'm in a time of mourning. And when you take mourning and you mix it with trauma, it's a formidable foe. Everywhere I turn now, I hear the word trauma. Perhaps that's because I'm doing some training in it, and I'm also dealing with my own, but I suspect it's something that we're becoming more familiar with in our country that other countries have been dealing with for years, that we have been somewhat protected from until 9-11. My husband and I heard an alarm go off at Walmart yesterday, and I immediately looked to make sure there was not an active shooter in the store. 
When I dropped my granddaughter off at school last week, I was aware that anything could happen before I picked her up at the end of the day. I'm not paranoid. I'm simply aware. And that awareness of being behind the scenes for over 40 years, walking with people through their challenges and their traumas, I no longer wear rose-colored glasses. Life is hard and harder on some than others. And life with all its joys can also be filled with trauma and loss. I want to share transparently with, with you guys that the last few months I've been hit harder with heart sickness from hope deferred than I can remember since before I began to have a close relationship with God. That, that's saying a lot because I've been through so much and never lost my resilience. God put a fire in me that has kept burning over the years, even when I'm really struggling. I've had people look at my lives, even my doctors, I don't see how you're doing this. I don't see. It's that fire that God placed in me. And the fact that I'm still here is only because God is keeping me. Having said that, I have felt that fire smoldering and smelled the smoke of it smoldering. It's as if the water of my tears inside that were not released on the outside were putting out that life-giving fire. I don't think I'm the only one that's feeling some of this heaviness and grief at the same time in our lives. I really don't. We're living in a different world than most of us grew up in. The generations after us will not know the world that we lived in. And they won't experience the grief we now feel at the losses, baby boomers and even Gen Xers, what we feel, because they won't even know what they're losing. Technology is speeding everything up and it's changed the landscape of our lives. I remember my grandmother saying when the horizon of her life was changing and for her generation, you know, I think I've just lived too long. That's what she would say. Now in my 70s, Looking from her bird's eye view of life, I'm inclined to say the same at times. I want to be open to progress. I'm not against progress. I also don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I need an anchor in my life. That's one thing I know, is that I need an anchor in my life. Or my lifeboat spins out of control, and I want my children and my grandchildren to know that there's a power greater than themselves a creator of the universe that's the anchor of everything because one day they're going to have something in their life that's going to cause their lifeboat to spin out of control due to just living life on life's terms. And I don't want them to be untethered. I want them to be steadfast in their times of trouble, not tossed to and fro and battered by the storms of life, but I want them to have peace in the midst of their storm. To me, this is only possible with the God who is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To me. That's my experience with God. There's good and evil in this world. And evil attempts to win out over good. I'm going to say this and listen very carefully and closely. I'm casting my lot with good even when it feels bad not costing, casting my lot with evil, even when it feels good. I'm not going to go on feeling. We can't. 
through my recovery from my addictive brain, looking to be comfortable, I'm no longer looking for the easier, softer way, although my flesh tries to override that decision many times. Instead, I'm asking God for resilience. And to me, that is God sustaining me supernaturally. I'm banking on good triumphing over evil. Although these last few months, it seemed to me that the opposite is true. Where is justice? Where is truth? Where is protection? Where is provision? Are you listening to our prayers, Lord? Are you playing tiddlywinks up there? Why are the heavens brass? Come down and stop all this foolishness. Surely this is bad enough already, right? Have any of you out there felt like this lately? Or is it just me? I want you to know if you have, it's not a lack of faith. I have faith and I know he can do it. I'm just weary in the waiting. How long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord? We're in times of great resistance where evil is pushing very hard on the door of our lives to come in and kill, steal, and destroy. I can't hold this door by myself. The weight of evil pushing in now has tripled in weight, and I'm not strong enough or heavy enough to keep it at bay. I'm talking about the barrage that comes at our mind gate to threaten us with worries, accuse our thoughts, hopelessness, despair, the wearing out of the saints if possible. Even our workloads have tripled to where we're now making bricks without straw and just trying to keep up with the paperwork and maintain our lives has become stressful and overwhelming for many. The word overwhelmed, I can't tell you how much I feel overwhelmed at times and how many people I've heard say, I just feel so overwhelmed. I'm just overwhelmed. And the Lord brought the scripture to me the other day, when my heart is overwhelmed, maybe it's a song, <laughs> maybe it's both, lead me to the rock that is greater than I, he speaks of being overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher, my higher power. The pot of hot water has been slowly heating up in the last few years, and it's now moving at warp speed. But we're told in the scriptures not to despair, to put our arms around the neck of our Father and walk on not only water with him, but walk on air with him. Yahweh spoke to my heart one day and he said this to me, don't honor the evil one by giving him glory for the hardships you are encountering. Yahweh said to me, think of him as a dumbbell. When you go to the gym and work out with a dumbbell, the dumbbell is used to create resistance to build muscle. I use the enemy of your soul to build spiritual muscle in you. The resistance is used to build you up, not tear you down. Look at, look at it this way, not from the place of being a victim to the whims of the enemy. So I guess what, that, what I would figure from that is that in the shadow of the Lord, the enemy of my soul is only a dumbbell, a gym tool, an instrument used to make us stronger spiritually in the long run. I mean, we're not going to go in and work out in the gym and be you know, griping at, at the dumbbell, at the gym tool. 
and feeling like a victim of the tool. We're using that tool to build us up. We're using it. This was helpful to me, that that instrument was being used to make me stronger spiritually. I never felt like I was being used by the enemy. It was like I was the one using the tool, and it was for my good. Lean into the resistance. That's hard to do. This past week, I told God that I need to go back to square one with him and start, just start over. Kind of like renewing my vows, like you would do after you've been married for 50 years. <laughs> I've been with him almost that long. In all my years in organized religion, it came to me the other day that I've picked up burdens and yokes. They aren't his because they're anything but easy and light. I need a fresh wind to blow on my life, and especially on that fire he placed in my belly, that is, is his life force inside of me. It's smoldering. But he says in his word that he doesn't blow out smoldering wicks. So I'm asking him to blow his breath in me and on me like he did with that same force that he did the day I was born. I need that level of birth, rebirth, regeneration, resurrection in order to thrive and not just survive in the times that I'm living in now at my age, with my disability, with the things on board with my family, with my challenges, with my financial challenges. I need more of God. I asked him last week to rekindle resilience in me. And his answer was that, I needed first rebirth, then resurrection would come, then renewal, and last resilience. It just so happens this is the day of Passover. And so I guess you can say, and my desperation has gotten me, I'm, I'm just right on time with the Feast of the Lord. He always does things like that. It keeps me right in sync. So this is a time in my life where I can be asking for him. I've come out of Egypt I just need him to get Egypt out of me. Bondage. When, when, when I was asked a few years ago to describe in a few words who I am, who are you, how are you made, whatever, one of the words that I used was resilient. That's always a go-to word for me, tenacious, resilient, compassionate. It's the essence and core of the resilience of who God has made me to be. And he's used that dumbbell, Hasatan, in my life to shape me, mold me, and strengthen me. And, you know, I have liked the woman that I, that I am because I like, I like that I'm resilient. It's just that having had eight anaphylactic episodes in two months during my time of mourning really dumped water on the fire of who I am. I said out loud, please help me, Lord. I'm afraid I'm going to give up. I have never said those words. Pre-Jesus, I did, but not since I had a relationship with God. I'm afraid I'm going to give up. Not that I do it on purpose, because I've established that ain't going to happen. I'm not going to do that on purpose to my family or anything like that. I'm not going to cooperate with the enemy to just lay down and die. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to do something like that. But I was afraid that I would be so hammered by the enemy and so broken and so despairing 
and so hopeless that my body and soul would just collapse under the pressure. And I would, my heart would fail me. I want to finish well, not before my time. So I don't want that to happen. You guys can pray for me. Those of you who are hearing this, you know, because we all go through different times in our life, different seasons, and I believe in the power of prayer. It has turned my life around so many times. So if you're hearing this right now, by all means, pray for me during this season of God raising me back up and breathing back on me again. So I want you to understand that resilience is of utmost importance to me because I know how important it is because I wouldn't have lived without it. I've been through so many things, I wouldn't have made it without resilience. It can make the difference in whether we are a victim or a victor. And I've had all the experience being a victim that I want in the victim realm. I've tried on the victor role for the last several years, and I like it. What is resilience, and what is persistence, and how do they relate to each other? I want to start with you with persistence. Persistence is the ability to endure tenaciously in spite of opposition, in spite of obstacles, and in spite of discouragement. People who are persistent successfully face challenges and stay focused and determined in pursuit of their goals. And those goals can be physical goals, emotional goals, spiritual goals, financial goals, but they're persistent. And if you really look at people who are successful, most of them have failed many times. But persistence alone, it's just not enough. Persistence, in order to overcome, we also need resilience. Persistence will help us keep going when things are difficult, but resilience will give us the tenacity and the wherewithal to get back up when we're knocked down. In order to adapt to traumatic life changes and stressful situations and conditions, we got to have resilience. Now, resilience, it has two factors. The first is preventative resilience, called immunity resilience. Some of that, I think, can really be built into children because of when they have childhoods that are functional and they have support and that's a good place for that to happen. But if you don't have that happening, then the second place that you can get it and even get it later on in life when you're knocked down so many times is called reactive resilience. And that's the ability to rebound from adversity. And a lot of times, people who've been through a lot in their childhood, they have rebound resilience. Resilience doesn't mean that a person's not going to experience difficulties, that we're not going to go through emotional and physical distress. On the contrary, it means that we're going to be able to bounce back and keep going despite our resistance and distress. It doesn't make our problems disappear. So it's not like we're going to walk around in la-la land. Oh, it's great. Everything's wonderful. It just means that we're going to be able to see past what's happening traumatically or trying to throw us off course or knock us down, and, and we'll still be able to find joy in life and have hope. We'll be able to have hope. You know, I was thinking of a song this past week. My hope is found in nothing less than Jesus and his righteousness. I can't even remember I dare not trust in 
along, only something. But but then it, the verse goes, in Christ the solid rock I'll stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And I was praying that and I was singing that and the Lord spoke to my heart and he said, Kwame, do you understand what sinking sand is? It's quicksand. If you've ever watched a movie where somebody stepped in quicksand, they can't get out. That's what it's like for a lot of people with addiction. It takes a move of God to pull you out of quicksand. And, and Yahweh spoke to my heart and he said, you understand that everything besides me is quicksand. And if you put your feet on it, you're not going to just end up with a little bit of sand and dirt on your shoe. If you look to that thing to save you, to help you, to fix you, to comfort you, it's going to become quicksand and it's going to eventually consume you. Resilience means that we're adaptable, both physically and psychologically. And that means, too, that if we, if we, those of you out there, anyone, I have dealt with depression and anxiety in my life in the past, if, and, I, and I have been diagnosed with PTSD from the things I've been through. If any of those things have affected you, or you have any existing mental health challenges, that resilience will improve your coping ability. I'm asking God right now for me to rekindle the flame in me of resilience. And I ask that for you as well. But I'm also understanding that there's some things that I can do on my end to cooperate with God, to help get this, once he blows on this fire, to keep the fire from going out. First is to become more connected to others. We have just come through a pandemic which either way you you land on it, we've been separated from people, pulled back. And I have heard many people say, I'm having a hard time going back out. I'm having a hard time getting back into things. I'm having a hard time being in crowds. I'm having a hard time. I understand that. With my illness and, and my husband's illness and since the pandemic, I've become more disconnected from others. The quarantine really affected us more than we realize and more than we know. And it's harder now, especially for introverts, to want to go back out there and try to connect again, especially for myself when I don't feel up to par because of my age and my health challenges. However, I want to share with you that I just spent a week in L.A. with my granddaughter, Bugs, and I went over there, and I've said to you before in the past, I go sick, I go scared, I go sad unless the Lord pulls the plug and tells me not to go, and then I'll cancel. Because if I had made my decisions based exactly on how I feel, for the last 36 years, I would have done nothing but laid in a bed. And I didn't want my life to be that. I didn't feel like that's what God wanted for my life. So I got up at the beginning of the week to go over last week to be with bugs, and I was dragging. And, and it was hard. And I was praying. I have to pray, God, give me the streak. Oh, Lord, help me. Oh, please don't let me have anaphylaxis while I'm there. Oh, but I went because I felt called to go because part of my assignment in my life is my grandchildren. That's the most important. And by the end of the week, just being with her, because children are so present, and, and pouring into her and her receiving and her pouring into me and her really seeing me and we really me seeing her and us connecting on a spiritual level because we do, I felt, I felt that fire start to burn again. 
it was starting to be rekindled. We need, you know, we need each other. We need to belong. Belonging is such an important part of us functioning. Another thing that can help us to make every day meaningful is by doing something that gives us a sense of accomplishment. I need a sense of accomplishment. That's common. We need to have meaning in our lives. The third thing is to remember, for me to remember my past experiences where I overcame difficulties with God's help and draw strength from that and encouragement from that. Like I had to draw on that when I went over there. I said, don't be afraid to go. You're going to be okay. If, if, you're, if you're as weak as me, you would understand. I mean, when you, when you feel c- capable and competent, you're not having to beg God for strength to do everything you do, like get in a car and drive three hours. You just do it. I'm having to, to cry out constantly. Help me because I'm that weak. I really am. I'm, I'm not just making that up. And I need to draw on those past experiences where I was that week before, the time I went to Israel, when I could barely walk, and I got there, and God sustained me supernaturally. I mean, I've had so many of those experiences. But each time I go through an experience, I, I can look to those times, but then I have to ask God for a new measure of faith. He's not going to give me stale bread. He gives me his daily bread and his fresh bread. So I can't pull out my stale bread. It's molded. I have to go for him each time. I'm remembered of remembering when God called Israel to, to build stones of remembrance. They built the stones before they needed to remember. They built the stones so they would be there so that when they were desperate place, they could go back to the stones and see the stones. And it would be God's way of reminding them, encouraging them that I have your back. You will prevail. That's the purpose of us remembering Times of remembrance is to remember who we are, remember where we came from, remember remember who we belong to, and remember what he's brought us through. Remember. The fourth is to remain hopeful. Now, I want you to know that's the part for me that has been hit the hardest in the last few weeks is hope. It's the hope. And hope is so important, and I want you to understand that it is the mainstay of resilience. It's the mainstay. It's the foundational stone. When your hope is gone, your body, I believe, mind starts shutting down. It's that important. And the scriptures encourage us that if we become weary in well-doing, to not give up, that we will reap a harvest at the proper time, not to give up. I'm also reminded of when I was bedridden for a period of weeks, and I was so, oh, feeling so hopeless. And my sister Kimberly called me on the phone and she, in my ear, she said, I've got a scripture for you today. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and, and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. She had no way of knowing that that's what I needed. I had word in me. I knew the word. I need a hope. And it's a supernatural type of hope. It's not something you can make happen. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull it up out of myself. It's, it's different when the Holy Spirit gives it to you. I've had it so many times happen to me where I am so buffeted in my body. 
and I, I feel the effects of it, and then all of a sudden, God will breathe on me, and that hope will come in me when it when it is it has seemed hopeless, and all of a sudden I have this supernatural hope, and the ability to keep going, to keep moving forward with that resilience. Resilience is not giving up. The next thing is to take care of myself. That means attending. This is one of the hardest things for me because as a recovering codependent and a person who was a hero child in my family of origin, my, uh, it's like uh, I love taking care of everybody else but me. One of the slogans that I coined was I'm going to start treating myself like I'm somebody else because it's not hard for me to take care of others. It's very hard for me to take care of myself. That means attending to my emotional, spiritual, and physical needs. For me, this means walking regularly or some form of gentle exercise, getting good sleep, eating healthy, meditating on God, doing my breathing exercises to try to combat that the stuff in my body when my adrenals are down and looking to God for guidance and having fun, doing something pleasant where it's not all just work. Last is to be proactive. That means to be intentional with my life, taking care of what needs to be done ahead of time so I don't become a reactor. I don't need to be reactionary. I'm dumping more adrenaline when I do that. I'm more stressed when I do that. My grandmother always said to me, a stitch in time saves nine. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And she was right. Proactive for me means keeping up with my medical issues, getting my affairs in order for when I leave Earthside, seeking outside help from professionals when I hit a wall and I've exhausted my resources in whatever area of life I'm dealing with, asking for help. Resilience and persistence are especially needed in the times we're living in. And we need, to, we need to root that into our kids. You know, the Lord spoke to me one day. I said, I'm really worried about my grandchildren, about the world they're going to live in. And he said, listen, your parents and grandparents were worried about the world you were going to live in. He said, I put in your children and your grandchildren what they're going to need in their generation. I didn't put that in you. I put in you what you need in your generation. So don't worry. Worrying is wasted. Play it forward. Pray it for them to have resilience and for them to have strength. Resilience and persistence are especially needed, especially if we want an abundant life instead of just getting by. I don't want to just get by. We only have one life. That's what I told the Lord the other day. I said, Lord, this has gotten really, this is really, di this has gotten difficult. I'm feeling a heaviness. I'm feeling a lot of drudgery. Life is, it's not beautiful right now. It's heavy. My yoke is not easy and my burden is not light. Something's wrong. That's what made me stop and look at my life and say, something's wrong. Something's wrong. And that's when I went, well, I'm, I'm getting hammered here. I'm getting some spiritual resistance here. And I was starting to feel like a victim in it, to be quite honest. Oh, gosh. Huh? And I had to just say to myself, you're, you're not going to be a victim here. You're going to utilize this. It's not your time to go. You have plans. God's going to raise you up. I had to start preaching to myself. I had to start exhorting myself. I am an exhorter by nature. I had to start exhorting myself. 
I'm still not in a place yet that I've gained back everything since these episodes. But at least my mind is getting clearer on who the battle is with and that I want to continue not as a victim, as a victor. It doesn't mean I won't be knocked down. That doesn't mean I'm not going to have bad days. Yesterday I had a hard day and I just wailed. W-A-I-L-E-D. When I, I speak Southern, so sometimes it comes out different. I sat in my living room and just wailed. Just wailed out the Lord. And you know what I said to the Lord with it? I said, Lord, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to pour out my pain to you and it's my worship to you. This is my worship to you. It's coming out of me now. Take it up to, to the heavenlies. May it be sweet, sweet incense because when we are hammered and then we, when we are burnt with fire, we are pleasing aroma. So don't let that keep you. or may, Don't let the enemy come in and say to you, oh, you're weak, you're this, this. No. We've been taught that worship is music, and it is, but it's many other things. It's the way we live our lives, and it's who do you go to? It's not about not crying or not laying in the floor and crawling around. It's about who do you turn to? Who do you turn to? I was one time we were praying uh, some friends of mine, and we were praying for a marriage for a family, and and the marriage we prayed for it to be healed, and we prayed for months and months and months, and and the gentleman ended up marrying the person that he was having the affair with, and I remember that day it, it was our last time to meet to pray, and I was so overwhelmed and so distraught, and I said, oh, this is depressing. You know how this ended up. God, you just didn't get the victory here. And he said, I want you to dress up today because you're going to have a celebration party. And I said, a celebration party? What do you mean a celebration party? He said, because I'm so proud of you, you women that got together and prayed. Because you know what? The outcome is not what I'm looking at. You never broke faith. You never broke faith. You know, we die in battle. Some of the battles people die in. They get a purple heart because they died courageously. They died valiantly. They didn't put their weapon down. They didn't turn it on friendly fire, and they didn't turn it on themselves. It's not about that you don't die. It's about that you never break faith. Woodrow Wilson said that the difference between a strong man and a weak one is the former does not give up after defeat. We get up. For those of you out there that are struggling right now, whatever you do, let me say this to you. And if it's later on after I'm in, up, in, up in heaven with the Lord, if it's my children or my grandchildren that happen upon this, whatever you do, don't give up. Don't give up. You're always on the verge of a miracle. And always remember this, that it's always the darkest right before the dawn. I'd like to end today, I want to read you the poem that I spoke about earlier that was read over the airways every night when the television channels would go off the air around 11 o'clock. The few times I was able to be up that late when I was allowed was on special occasions because that was really late back in those days. This was the poem that I heard before the television airways closed shop for the night. Everything just shut down. It was a poem written by a pilot 
about his experiences flying, but I have always remembered it because for me as a little girl, it gave this little child awareness of a God who was foundational, the foundation of all, who was in the heavens. And that one day I would be able to soar like that plane and I would be able to reach out and touch his face as well. So this is in honor of the era that I was privileged to grow up in. And this is called High Flight. Oh, I have slipped the surly bonds of earth and danced the skies on laughter-silvered wings. Sunward I've climbed and joined the tumbling mirth of sun-split clouds and done a hundred things that you have not dreamed of. Wheeled and soared and swung, high in the sunlit silence. Hovering there, I've chased the shouting wind along and flung my eager craft through footless halls of air. Up, up the long delirious burning blue. I've topped the windswept heights with easy grace where never lark or ever eagle flew. And while with silent lifting mind I've trod the high untrespassed sanctity of space, put out my hand and touched the face of God. John Gillespie Maggie Jr., a pilot, penned that and left that for us. And that poem that shows how God reaches out to children through all things, a child that needs to know and lets them know he's there. I want to thank you today for joining me. This will be the last podcast for this season. I'm going to take a sabbatical. It'll be kind of like an intermission because I'm preparing for the gathering that we're going to be doing in Virginia that's going to be in July 14th through 16th in Richmond, Virginia. I will be coming on before that gathering, so I'll have more information to give to you. And, and I might even do just a podcast of all, of all that information in preparation for that. We'll, we'll have to see. But I'm going to take some time off. And when I come back, this is my plan, is when I come back, after I had taken a little break, then I'm going to be speaking on the Beatitudes of Men and Women. I'm writing a book on women called Buried Alive, and it's all about the dishonor of women. But with that, there's also a dishonoring of men. So I want to speak to, the, to men and women both and what misogyny has done to both of them uh, in the world, how it has really affected not just women, but men as well. And so I'll be doing a series on that that will become a book. And then I hope to take a break and then come back and do a, a series on the Beatitudes of Living with Chronic Illness because I've learned a lot about the medical system, what to do, how to help people, how to get through suffering. I want to be able to leave that for my children and my grandchildren as well. I, I want to thank you for your time. Always, as I say to you, your time is valuable. It's not replaceable. You're given a certain amount of time, finite time this side of eternity. And what you do with that is, is very important. And I don't take that lightly. And I want to say to you, if you're, if you're running late places and not showing up, understand that. If you're running late to things, you're taking people's land because they're only given a certain amount of time. So if you're, you're robbing them of time. So it's always good to think that way. I used to be chronically late. And I went to a, a, a retreat, and they, they, they said that in the retreat. And I was like, wow. So I do try. I mean, there's times that we all run into those difficulties, but I do try to be on time now because understanding that, that you are stealing someone's time when you take their time. I want to remind you to go on our website, which is Indigenous Messengers International. Um, it has our bios there. So 
not that we need you to know about us, but I'm relational, so I wanted everyone to know about our lives, know a little bit about our tribe. We have on there our family members, and you can get to know us. You know, I like to be known, and I like to know others. So you can. it says in the scriptures to know who you're laboring among, and so you can really read that and find out about us. There's pictures of our childhoods and what we've done with our lives, and it talks on there about what's important in our ministry, our vision statement, it, it just has a lot of things. And there's a place there to donate if you would like to donate to our ministry. My husband and I live completely by faith. We don't get, we don't get paid like a salary or something. We, and when we travel, we, we pay for all of that ourselves. We sow in to the body of Messiah. We sow into the next generation. And we'll continue to do that to the best of our abilities. I want to dedicate this podcast today, as I've said to my children and grandchildren, to any of my grandchildren and children who are listening to this, know that you are the passion of my life, and I love you all very much. Blessings. Thank you for listening to Beatitudes with Dr. Kwamenik Sukina. Be sure to follow the show for more tools on how to experience wisdom in your everyday life, for you to walk in victory with the right attitude.